bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these big signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Nivagrata, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, July 2nd, 2013. This week, I'll begin with a review of last week's major tax reform announcement and what Senator Baucus's and Senator Hatch's clean slate approach will mean for the tax credit community. Then, in our renewable energy discussion, I'll share two new pieces of legislation. The first would permanently extend the Renewable Energy Production Tax Credit for wind, geothermal, hydro, and marine power. The second would expand the Renewable Energy Tax Credit to allow for investment in off-site solar energy properties like community solar farms. In our historic tax credit discussion, I'll share an announcement from the National Park Service's Technical Preservation Services about its new series of free educational webinars about the historic tax credit. I also have a state-level update from Rhode Island, where legislation has been passed that would bring back the state's historic tax credit. Then, in our local housing tax credit segment, I'll discuss the findings of the Harvard Joint Center for Housing Studies annual State of the Nation's Housing Report. And, as promised last week, I'll discuss what the status of the Farm Bill in Congress is and what it means for the affordable housing community. Finally, in our new market tax credit section, I have another update on the fast-moving first round of the CDFI Bond Guarantee Program. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, as most listeners likely know, particularly those who follow our breaking news announcements or follow Novogratik on Twitter, last week, Senate Finance Committee Chairman Max Baucus and Ranking Member Orrin Hatch proposed a blank slate approach as the starting point for tax reform. In a Dear Colleague letter, they called on their Senate colleagues, all 98 colleagues, to submit legislative language or detailed proposals by July 26th, this month, obviously, stating which tax expenditures and other provisions should be added back to a reform tax code. Essentially, start with a blank slate and tell Senator Hatch and Senator Baucus which tax provisions should be retained. Ways and Means Committee Chairman Dave Camp immediately issued a statement calling the announcement a significant step forward that underscores that the Senate and House are on the same page as they work on tax reform in a bicameral, bipartisan manner. In the letter, Senators Baucus and Hatch write that they both believe that some existing tax expenditures should be preserved in some form. That's a quote. Let me say it again. Both believe that some existing tax expenditures should be preserved in some form. But they also said that tax expenditures and other provisions should be added back only if they, one, help grow the economy, and or two, make the tax code fairer, and or three, effectively promote other important policy objectives. 
I think it's clear to see how the local housing tax credit, the new market tax credit, historic tax credit, and renewable energy tax credits can satisfy each of these three provisions. This plan means that the Senate Finance Committee will approach tax reform with all tax credits, tax deductions, tax exclusions, etc., but all tax credits, more particularly, including the low-income housing tax credit, new market tax credit, historic tax credit, and rural energy tax credit eliminated from the code. Then, each tax credit would only be added back if enough senators make a compelling case for it. Now, in order to be considered during the crafting of a bill, senators must submit their proposals by July 26th. That's clearly the stated deadline. Obviously, this will carry well beyond July 26th. Senators Bacchus and Hatch said they'll give special attention to proposals that are bipartisan. Once again, a good reason why there is good bipartisan support for the localizing tax credit, new market tax credit, historic tax credit, and renewable energy tax credit. Based on the above timeline, though, we, can't, we could, emphasis on could, not will, we could expect the markup of an initial bill to be held sometime after the August recess, but still this year. For the tax credit community, this means there's no time to spare. Supporters of tax credits for affordable housing, community development, historic preservation, and renewable energy have only a few short weeks to contact their senators and communicate the benefits these programs provide in their home states. A, they need to contact their senators, and then B, they need their senators to go on the record with Senators Baucus and Hatch of their support of the various tax credit provisions. In a blog that was posted yesterday, I linked to a number of resources that listeners to this podcast and others can use to help prepare their letters and or their outreach to U.S. Senators. I think these resources will help with these efforts. In addition, a copy of the letter that Senator, the Dear Colleague letter that Senator Baucus and Hatch sent out, can be found online at www.novaco.com slash hot topics. And if you have other questions or comments or observations, I invite you to send me an email or post some comments on my blog. As we look at this upcoming July 26 deadline, it's useful to think about some other key upcoming dates. After July 26, the next key date is August 2nd. That's when the August recess, or the state and district work periods for the Senate and the House respectively, begin. The August recess will be particularly significant in the Senate, as that will give staff time to evaluate all the comments they've received from other senators by the July 26 deadline. It will also give constituents an opportunity to meet and talk to their U.S. senators regarding their thoughts on tax reform. Looking beyond August 2nd, sometime between uh, August and October, Treasury will likely have exhausted the extraordinary measures that it's using to delay hitting the debt ceiling, which means some agreement has to be entered into between the House, Senate, and the President to extend the debt ceiling. And then September 30th, that's when the fiscal year 2013 ends. We either need to have a budget or a continuing resolution by then, or the government would shut down. In renewable energy tax credit news, Last week, Rep. Jan Schakowsky introduced legislation that would permanently extend the Renewable Energy Production Tax Credit for wind, geothermal, hydro, and marine power. If enacted, H.R. 2539, the Prioritizing Energy Efficient Renewables, or PEER Act, would also eliminate the tax credit for 
tangible drilling costs, domestic manufacturing tax credit for oil and gas, as well as the percentage depletion credit for oil and gas wells. Without congressional action, the production tax credit is scheduled to expire at the end of this year. Representative Schakowsky says the legislation is revenue positive because the $1.6 billion cost of the production tax credit in 2012 is outweighed by the approximately $3.7 billion in annual costs of the three oil and gas credits and or deductions or other tax expenditures that the bill proposes eliminating. The bill has 17 co-sponsors, but because of the provisions eliminating tax incentives for oil and gas, this bill is unlikely to make much progress. In other renewable energy news, Senator Mark Udall last week reintroduced his SUN Act. What does SUN stand for? Solar Uniting Neighborhoods. Under current federal law, homeowners are only eligible for the 30% residential renewable energy tax credit when they install panels on an existing principal residence. Supporters of the SUN Act say the problem with current law is that factors such as permitting, architecture, and shade from trees or other buildings can make it impractical to install a panel on one's own home. If enacted, the SUN Act would expand the tax credit to allow for investment in off-site solar energy properties like community solar farms. Senator Udall had proposed the SUN Act in 2010, but it died in committee. The bill has been referred to the Senate Finance Committee. A copy of the text will be posted online at www.energytaxcredits.com as soon as it's available. In historic tax credit news, last week, the National Park Service's Technical Preservation Services Unit announced that it will host a series of free educational webinars. The events are expected to occur monthly. Topics are expected to include the Historic Tax Credit Program, obviously, as well as the Secretary Standards for the Treatment of Historic Properties, certain technical preservation issues, and other related subjects. Specific information about upcoming webinars will be posted on the TBS website, as well as how to register. These webinars are the result of a report released earlier this year that included a set of action items intended to improve and expand the use of the historic tax credit. Regular listeners will recall that in January, then-Interior Secretary Ken Salazar requested a review of the historic tax credit program to consider how it might be improved. The National Park Service was asked to focus on ways to better promote the program, to broaden the public's understanding of its benefits and eligibility requirements, and other things. In March, the Park Service issued a report, and that report included eight recommended actions, including offering a series of webinars in support of the tax incentives program for program users, state and local partners, and the general public. The first webinar is entitled Applying for the Federal Historic Tax Credit, and it's scheduled for July 11th. This webinar will feature two speakers, Joellen Hensley, an architectural historian with the National Park Service, and Jessica Richardson, a certified local government coordinator, tax act reviewer with the Louisiana Division of Historic Preservation. More information can be found online at www.nps.gov tps. Now let's turn to Rhode Island. At the time of this recording, the historic tax credit community in Rhode Island was just one step away from getting the state rehabilitation tax credit back. 
Last week, the State Assembly approved the 2014 budget bill and sent the bill to the governor for his signature. The bill, H5127A, as amended, includes a provision to restore the state's historic tax credit program. The House restored the historic tax credit program by using $34.5 million that was previously approved for projects that were never completed. It also added a project cap of $5 million to the bill. The House voted 52 to 20 last week to approve the $8.2 billion 2014 state budget bill and then send it to the Senate. The Senate also passed the budget bill with a 32 to 6 vote. At the time of this recording, the bill had been sent to the governor. We'll be sure to update you on the status of the Rhode Island Historic Tax Credit in a future podcast as soon as we learn more. In local housing tax credit news, last week's report from the Harvard Joint Center for Housing Studies revealed that the number of renter households increased by more than 1.1 million last year. The report says that the growth in the number of renter households for the current decade is on pace to surpass the record 5.1 additional rental households added in the 2000s. The report also found that as of early 2013, renters made up 35% of all households. Now, while it's encouraging to see the rental market rebound from the 2007 recession, a stronger market does create tightening rental conditions. And these tighter conditions are pushing up rents across the country. According to the report, the median asking rent for vacant units in 2012 was $720. The Joint Center for Housing Studies says that this $720 figure is the highest level in U.S. history. Rents in most markets are on the rise. 89 of the 93 metropolitan areas tracked in the report saw rents climb over the past year. In nine of these areas, rents increased by at least 5%. The metropolitan areas with the largest rent hikes were Honolulu, where median rents grew by 8.5%, San Francisco, where rents increased by 8%, and San Jose, where rents rose by nearly 8%, 7.7%. Similarly, a growing renter's market results in a drop in vacancy rates. The U.S. rental vacancy rate stood at 8.7%. That was back in 2012, and the Joint Center says that 87 is down from 9.5% in 2011 and over 10% at 106 in 2009. The study says that the number of renters who spent more than half their income on housing has, unfortunately once again, reached all-time highs. The Joint Center for Housing Studies found that more renters qualify as overburdened, meaning that they spend more than 30% of their income on rent. In fact, According to the most recent American Community Survey, 42.3 million households, or 37%, paid more than 30% of pre-tax income for housing, that in 2011. Between 2007 and 2011, the number of overburdened renters rose by 2.5 million to a total of 12.1 million. During the same period, the number of rental units affordable to these renters fell That's down to 6.8 million. This doubled the gap between the number of who need low-income housing and the supply of such housing. A copy of the report is available online at www.jchs.harvard.edu. 
Now let's turn to the farm bill. As many listeners are likely aware, the House unexpectedly rejected the $940 billion farm bill last month. The House now has a few options. It could rework the bill, possibly splitting commodities and food stamps into two separate bills. It could let the current extension expire on September 30th, at which point the 1949 farm bill would automatically go into effect. It could extend existing benefits under a resolution if it could be reached. And four, it could also debate the Senate's version of the bill and reconsider it. Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid urged the House to choose the fourth option and make the Senate bill work because, as Senator Reid said, the Senate will not pass another temporary farm bill extension. The Senate had passed its own $955 billion farm bill last month with two-thirds of the chamber voting in favor. Now, in response, Rep. Sherry Bustos, a Democrat from Illinois, as well as Iowa Democrats Dave Loebsack and Bruce Brawley, introduced H.R. 2498 last Wednesday. That bill has the exact text of the Senate Farm Bill. And, and the measure, by note, has been referred to the House Committee on Agriculture. The fate of the Farm Bill will potentially have a substantial effect on the development of affordable housing in rural areas. As I mentioned in an earlier podcast, the Senate bill has a provision that would protect communities in danger of losing their rural status and the financial benefits that go with such status. Beginning October 1st, the USDA will begin using population data from the 2010 census instead of the 2000 census to determine rural designations. The loss of rural designation could affect the future development of low income housing tax credit properties as well as access to loans and other funding sources for affordable rural housing properties in rural areas. This would obviously greatly reduce the feasibility of developing rural affordable housing. Until Congress can work out a farm bill compromise, the status of rural designations and the potential effect on affordable housing will remain uncertain. We're hopefully going to see a resolution that takes into account the importance of affordable housing development in low-income rural areas soon. The House did leave for its July 4th holiday recess last Friday, so there won't be any action this week. Well, we'll keep you updated on any progress when the House reconvenes next week. However, when it does reconvene, it will only have a few short weeks until it heads off on its August recess. And then when it comes back, it will only have a few short weeks until the end of September when the current farm law expires at which point we would return back to the 1949 Farm Act. In new market tax credit news, additional legal documents are now available with respect to the CDFI bond guarantee program. More specifically, the CDFI fund last week made available additional legal documents for potential applicants to the fiscal year 2013 round of the CDFI bond guarantee program. The agreement to guarantee bond trust indenture, and bond loan agreement can be found on CDFI Fund's website as well as at www.newmarketscredits.com. The CDFI Fund also announced that it will host virtual question and answer sessions to prepare potential qualified issuer and guarantee applicants and potential master service or trustee applicants for the 2013 round of the CDFI bond guarantee program. Each session will be a combination of a conference call and online presentation. 
the CDFI Fund will host four information sessions in total. It hosted two last week on Friday, June 28th, one specifically for master servicer or trustee applicants, and one for qualified issuer and guarantee applicants. Another two sessions are scheduled for qualified issuer and guarantee applicants. They will be held on Friday, July 5th, and next week on July 11th. CD5 and staff will be available to address specific questions from potential applicants. Questions on topics that include structure of a proposed transaction, a qualified issuer's proposed capital distribution plan, an eligible CDFI's proposed secondary capital distribution plan, projections and cash flows for the qualified issuer and guarantee applications, and obviously much more. More information can be found online at www.cdfifund.gov bond. And don't forget the application deadline for the 2013 round of the program is just two weeks away, July 17th. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www novoco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novoco.com.